0: Hello, I am Crystal Grafton Combs, and you're listening to Coffee Talk with Crystal. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you have joined us before, welcome back. This podcast is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Sometimes I will answer questions from our sisters, and others I will invite friends to do the same. So, Thank you for listening, and now, let's get to my next conversation. Hello, Jessie Castile.
1: Hi, Crystal. How
0: are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am, do- well, I am dressed, and I have shoes on and jewelry Hi. on. So I feel like despite the fact that I am in my house, it is still a very good thing and trying to navigate this fun new world of social distancing. But I get to talk to you this morning. So this is a special edition of Coffee Talk and I have been um, very happy to invite some sisters and have a fun little lineup for some special editions over the next few weeks, and you were actually one of the first people, Jesse, who came to my mind for this. Aww. Well, I find you, on a daily basis, to be very fun and inspirational and pretty amazing anyway, but I think that you also have a lot to offer to our sisters out there, And I'd like to start by you telling people a little bit about your AOPI experience and your journey to where you are now. Okay. So I went to the University of Chicago,
1: so I'm a Phi Chi. Uh, I initiated in the spring of 92, so I was a COB girl, and that started my whole, um, my, my career as an evangelist for continuous open bidding as a way to build chapters Um, in a very intentional way.
0: So wait, Um, I'm going to automatically take a sidebar for a minute because I do want to take the winding road to where you are now. But I love what you just said because I love the idea of COB. And I think a lot of our chapters consider it very taxing and because there aren't always full classes of, of 15 or 30 or 50 women that, that it doesn't count for some reason or that it's not as valuable. And I mean, if I had been one of three, I would have loved to have walked through the door and said, hello, I am here. <laughs> love me. So I would love for us to take a sidebar very early in the conversation to talk a little bit about what that experience was for you, because I did not know that about you. And I think it's a great one to share.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's it's um, in some ways, it's been sort of you know, a limitation for me because I didn't. I was never on the other side of formal recruitment. So I can't think back to what it was like to walk into formal recruitment, especially, you know, as we know it today and the way that women um, think about it today. So, um, but but i I remember when i I took the full, academic year to decide that this was the group of women that I related to that I wanted to identify with, that I wanted this, I wanted to be NAOP because these were my friends, as opposed to the women who come to campus and they see a big show. And so, yes. um, for me, I guess I, I went through my collegiate experience feeling like I was very chosen, specifically, and that people took time to choose me. And, you know, it's not, uh, we, we should remind ourselves that that's how sorority started, right? <laughs> yes. Our didn't have a big party with matching t-shirts and, you know, a, a chants and door stacks, right? They recruited their friends because they knew each other, yes. right? Um, and I think when I've, my, my journey to becoming, you know, a recruitment person took a long time, Um me that if you have a chapter that needs to grow it makes sense to go make friends with people (laughs) and then recruit them you know go find the best women go find the best women on your campus that's gonna. those are the women that are going to change things for you that are going to turn things around because nobody they they say there's no better evangelist than a convert you know (laughs) I I can get very academic about this but like you know example Paul who spoke to the Corinthians he was a convert you know
0: (laughs) well and and very persuasive might I say
1: (laughs) you know yeah so that's so that was sort of my my experience with COV and why I always um I've always gravitated toward the chapters that needed to um really change the way they think like change their mindset because I think you know, we make such an effort to train them to do a specific, one specific thing, and that, and that, it doesn't translate to real life in the way that other things do, you know, that, that COV does, that, you know, there's something in, in going out and choosing somebody and building a relationship um, that I think, you know, the, you only need those two or three pivotal figures, strong leaders who really make all the difference for a chapter, for a company, for an organization. And, you know, you're not always going to find those women in formal recruitment. You might find 50 awesome women who are going to be great sisters. But when you really need to do a turnaround job on something.
0: The playmakers. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I love this. Well, and, and I mean, I have to be very honest for those who don't know you, I can't imagine a bigger playmaker than you. I mean, you are a game changer in the way that you lead, in the way that you serve, in the way that you have supported our chapters all of these years. Um, I think that it really speaks to the experience that you had. And I love that you call it being chosen because I did go through the formal recruitment process and I was very, very torn for those who have heard my AOPI story through the years until the very last day. And it was preference evening and and AOPI was the last of three. We did three back then for preference. And I was walking out of the chapter house and a, a member stopped me who I had not seen since the very first day. And she did not say, I hope you're my little or I can't wait to see you for a big party or we'll have such fun together at social events in the fall. She said, I hope I will see you here tomorrow because here you can make a difference. And that stuck with me. And I knew in that moment what I hoped to see on the envelope the next day. And right. so I I love that because I also felt chosen without being... Um, I guess, while still being a part of this massive production. And, yeah. and I've always thought that, you know, of course, you find out the next year that your name was on some poster in the back or on a card or on a flip book or something where, where they have these notes about you. And and maybe she pulled from that. Maybe she didn't. But it did make me feel very much like that. But I love that particular word for it because I think it's true and I love COB so I love that this is how you came to us and now we can we can end that part of the sidebar and we can keep moving down the road but so you were initiated into Kai now without having to share too much personal data what years were we <laughs>
1: Was, uh, that was spring of ninety two. So that was at the end of my freshman year. Okay. Um, had a great experience. I mean, my personal experience in college was difficult. I ended up having to take a, t- a leave of absence. I had a lot of you know family and financial stuff at the time. But my sisters really, I mean, all of my my life basically, my sisters have saved my bacon again and again. When I was having to take a leave of absence the first time, I had there were two seniors. They weren't my bigs. They weren't um, they. I barely saw them because they were applying to med school and law school, but these two sisters, Martha and Catherine, um, seeing that I was struggling, that I was really in bad shape, made a point of saying, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to make a plan. And they took me to the library every day and watched me study my Spanish so that I could get a passing grade and, you know, and move on and get my, my letters submitted and make sure that I submitted my leave of absence. And, and all that, and checked up on me when I was at home to make sure that I submitted my presumption of studies papers and all that. So, I mean, that was just sort of the beginning of feeling like, okay, regardless of how well we know each other or what chapter we're in, that it, it's part of the pledge we take to really look after each other. Sure. And so that, that's, you know, in terms of for a lifetime, that was, you know, my first struggles in college were sort of where. Um, I learned what it was, you know, what it really meant. Um, and then, you know, so after college there were, um, uh, I, I, didn't really volunteer. I would go down to campus. I lived in Chicago. So I would go down and help with recruitment when I was asked. Um, and I would visit occasionally, but, um, it wasn't until many years later when I had kids that one of my chapter sisters, Yvonne, shout out to Yvonne of Hunter, She, um, she asked, she reached out, she said, what would it take for you to get involved on an alumni advisory committee? I think she was talking about Phi and I was like, sure, you know, I, all it takes is for me to be asked. I, I'm not a big volunteer typically. Um, okay, so
0: but, wait, but, I want to, I want to say that statement one more time. All yes. it took was for you to be asked.
1: Right. Well, it's, there's a psychology there. There are people who love to volunteer who are always the first to raise their hands, and then there are the other ones who will be, um, will be a great benefit, but you need to appeal to their ego a little bit. This is something I've learned over time. I, I see this in other people now where, you know, they won't necessarily, because they're busy, or they're, um, they're not sure that they will be able to be effective in something, but if you know has something to, to offer, you can appeal to them and say, listen, you have this to offer. This is what this group needs. Can you
0: help? Well, shout out to Yvonne O'Connor for pulling you back into the fold, friend, because that's amazing. Exactly.
1: What was so funny is i forgotten we had a chapter at DePaul oh. because, because we installed that chapter after after we graduated, and I guess I knew about it at the time, um, but I, I just assumed she was talking about life. I know she was, um, she was volunteering at DePaul at the time and had become very attached to that chapter and was doing great work with them. And so I, I came and served on that AAC with her. I ended up being there for five years, and then um, an NSR position came open in this um, in this network, and I and I um, took over when that NSR moved to California, and did that for five years.
0: And here you are with us. Uh, yeah. And you know, so Jesse, this morning I was actually trying to remember when. I mean, I know that. I've heard your name and knew you for a very long time, but I'm really trying to remember the first time that I really had an opportunity to connect with you. And I believe it was at a leadership institute It was years ago. Yeah.
1: Um, So, yeah, I think that would have been two leadership institutes ago when we were, yeah, when I was in treatment and I was wearing a purple wig. I actually remember now. Because you and I had connected on social media, and you'd sent me this really sweet care package, and I still have all my little yellow things. And <laughs> Do you me. really? Yes, of <laughs> All the things. Um, and and we were getting ready to sit sit on um, listen to you speak on a panel, and you sought me out and you asked how I was doing, and we had a whole conversation about how I was in the chemo and uh, my wig was itchy, and
0: uh, yeah, yeah. So that was. Three years ago. But do Four you know, I, I what I was thinking this morning, because some people, I think, fall into your lives unexpectedly, and then some, I think, are placed very intentionally. Oh. And I remember walking away, and you're right, it wasn't, we had that conversation about the wig, and and I remember walking away thinking, I really like this person, like this person my grandfather used to say to me and I've said this many many times that you should surround yourself with people who make you better in in whatever way that looks like whether that's compassion or strength or determination or workload or, or wh- whatever it is and and I walked away thinking she's someone that needs to be in my life that I And better for having known. And it was just that few minutes of conversation, but I knew in that moment. And I just thought to myself, was that the first time? And I think it was. And you're right. That means that this L.I. would have been four years. Yeah. So you you were talking about how you were experiencing chemo at the time. This Mm -hmm. is not new for you. Would you please share with our sisters what that particular journey has been like for you?
1: Yeah. Okay, so I had my daughter in
0: 2000, my second kid
1: in um in 2007 and my my what I learned is that my breast cancers I've had two were probably triggered by pregnancies. Um I'm a very I'm a very estrogen estrogen super producer. <laughs> so, um I finally lost all the baby weight. Okay. Um, and this is very common. This is something our sisters should know about, about um, carrying any extra weight. It's when I, you know, because I gained a lot of weight with my second pregnancy. And then I just, you know, I finally got serious. I was running again. I, my body found it dropped. And I was getting in the shower after I'd been at the gym and I was getting undressed. And I saw, I had I saw a, a, a very superficial tumor, like right on the side of my um, chest wall, like, I'm, like under my armpit. Like it could have almost been a um, a lymph node, but it was um, it cast a little shadow, huh. and it was a, yeah it was a tumor. It was one very small tumor, and um, it had been hiding for God knows how long um, because I had all this baby weight, right? So um, yeah, so I got started this journey, and, and that first cancer was a lot less aggressive. That was um, not. Um, I probably could have lived a very long time without knowing it. And I probably did. It was at, you know, at least probably growing there at least four or five years. Um, and I ended up being two tumors and I ended up having a big mastectomy and I um, didn't have chemo that time around. Um, and so I just sort of went about my life, didn't have any really adverse side effects or anything like that, um, taking the normal hormone therapy for um, premenopausal women. So I was 38 years old at the time. Five years later, found another lump on the other side. Wish to God somebody had suggested I have a bilateral mastectomy the first time. Mm. There's another one out there. If you you know, if you're one of the gazillions of women who will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year, ask about the option of having a bilateral mastectomy and consider that. Consider that. When they say lumpectomy and radiation, just consider just put it out there and, and have a conversation with your doctor about that. Anyway. Um, Second time around, much more aggressive, um, had um, a number of positive lymph nodes, no distant metastasis, chemo, radiation. And in the middle of chemo, I hadn't planned on going to L.I. that year. My network director said, you know what, don't worry, you just decide for yourself, you know, we'll hold a spot for you. And at the last minute, I decided, yeah, I feel great because I was on steroids and I felt like I could rest. (laughs)
0: letters <laughs> <laughs> um
1: and
0: we you know we uh, we had a great time that year that was super fun um yeah so yeah now like you were in the middle of chemo then right. so for those of us who have been very fortunate not to have experienced that you are you now considered in remission
1: i am i uh, i am um I, I will always be in treatment
0: though. So that um, was gonna be my next question, is what yeah. does that, I mean, because in, in my mind for years, in fact, maybe until I knew you, and then I've had a dear college sister who is experiencing something quite similar now, um, who did have the bilateral mastectomy, so that was good, um, yeah. But I, at least we hope. Um, but I think what I did not realize was that just because, and I don't say just because, remission is a big, big deal of course, but just because you were in remission doesn't mean that that you are done with this, correct? Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, in my case, because I had I had two separate primary cancers, it's not like it returned. It's not like it was something that spread for me. It was a whole new cancer. Okay. Yeah. And being a non-cancer patient in the first place is a bit of a, an alarm because, um, you know, still to this, I mean, we all know young women with breast cancer, but... Um, still in most cases are women over 65 to be a young person with cancer means that something else is out there i did not test positive for uh, the genetic mutation so what that means probably is that i have um certain other genetic um predispositions right that i i have a bit of a dysfunctional immune system I, my body doesn't always recognize something that it needs to take care of because we all have cancer all the time Our cells are mutating all the time mm-hmm. our body a normal functioning immune system recognizes those things and takes care of it um, so f- for example with this with this covid with um, with the coronavirus I might not if I were exposed I might not have a normal immune response I might not get a fever like what what you might get a fever that would alert you to there being something wrong and you'd call your doctor and take precautions um, I might walk around feeling perfectly normal and have something attacking my lungs at time Wow yeah you know, So that's just, okay, and my doctor friends are going to be very upset that I said this because I'm sort of speculating, but I mean, that's, but to walk around as something with a dysfunctional immune system, I walk around feeling great all the time. I feel like a perfectly healthy person, Um, but I need to be cognizant of the fact that my immune system isn't necessarily always going to come through for me in the way that a normal healthy person's immune system does, if that makes sense.
0: It absolutely Um, does but so so let me add so knowing that I mean obviously I I see your post I know that you are practicing social distancing and I know that so, there's some conversation now that we don't need to call it social distancing it's physical distancing but whatever the distancing is um, the fact that you are not leaving your four walls um what what is it that you would like for our sisters to understand about why that's important because there's so much like oh I'm young and I'm twenty seven and if I get it I'm gonna cough a few days and I'll be fine when that's yeah. that's not necessarily true. But exactly and, and not only that, how many people have you then shared it with before you know that maybe aren't young and I'm saying twenty seven to all the twenty seven year olds, I'm sorry. I barely remember that age these days. But yeah. but what is it that you would like for people to know and understand about this pandemic? Well
1: and it's something we're all sort of learning in real time because it is easy to I mean, you know, we'll think we're walking on the street and we see somebody and because they're not sneezing and they don't look sick, we don't even think twice about it. Um, but the fact of the matter is what's so scary about this one is that you can be asymptomatic for two weeks. You could be a carrier without ever developing. And the virus um, is shedding everywhere and you not, you not because you're coughing or sneezing, but because we are shedding these things all the time. Um, and I mean, I, I'm able, you know, I work from home all the time and I, I make a point in the day to day of like, you know, with this last breast cancer, I don't really go to big shows anymore. I used to love going to the big concerts in the summer. I don't really do that anymore. I don't really, I, I try to avoid, you know, the busy times here and there. And I always like done my grocery cart and all those things on the normal. But um, I, I think... And, and we're all very thankful that this particular virus doesn't seem to be impacting children and young people. Because God forbid if this were something that were killing children, we would all be beside ourselves. This would be a lot less of an issue. But I'm most concerned about my uncle who has advanced Parkinson's disease, who's in a, a very nice nursing home, and I have every confidence people working there, the very young people working there, um, are being careful. But all it would take is one person being a little careless on and coming back to work at the nursing home on Monday and feeding my, and, and, and you know, before you know it, you've gotta, I mean, that whole, there was an entire nursing home full of people in Washington who, you know, basically got sick and a lot of those people died. So people just need to appreciate that. Yes, thank God, thank God almighty that you probably won't get sick and die. Thank God. Even if you do get sick, probably not gonna die. But you know what? A lot of our sisters fall into this age category. Um, a lot of um, just the people in your life, your family members, and there are young people getting very sick. Um, I know a man who is I, much younger than me. I think he's uh, maybe not quite 40, but he's in Rush right now, at Rush Hospital right now, and he is very, very ill mm-hmm. and really believed he was going to die. And it took a long time for him to get diagnosed. That's another thing that's scary. These tests just aren't available everywhere, and so they have to be very specific about who you are and who you've been exposed to and that sort of thing. So the best thing you can do is just stay away from everybody. I have to go to the hospital. I I have to go to the hospital on Tuesday to get a shot. I get a shot every 28 days. And that's not a shot that I can give myself. You know, it's not a shot that I can find a nurse friend to come pick up and get to me. It's very expensive. They have to have me there. They have to identify me before it can be released to them. So I have no choice, I have to go and some poor nurse who's there ejecting people every day has to be there ejecting people. Um, Be thoughtful about those people. And I think our sisters are, and I've been so impressed with the way the collegians are sort of accepting, this is just how it is. And we all feel so bad for our seniors who aren't gonna get their graduation ceremony, they're not having the formals, they have to move out of their room. You know, it sucks and we feel so bad for them. But you know what? These women, I, I'm so impressed with them, these women who are graduating right now, they grew up uh, in very uncertain times. You know, they grew up in a country that was in a recession for their entire... We were always at war. You know, things have been very uncertain. You know, the kids that grew up in the you know in the wake of 9-11, it's the parents who are so in denial of the fact that they don't get to be there on graduation day.
0: You right? are not so, wrong, friend.
1: Yeah, and it's... <laughs> it's so unfortunate and it's so I feel terrible for them and I would be upset too like you know what we're gonna get through it and you know we're, we're gonna come out on the other side and then we'll have a graduation and then we'll have formal and you
0: know yes yeah so tell me until then we we talk a lot on this podcast these days about being calm you know how we connect how we adapt How we laugh and then how we mellow. So tell me a couple of things. I know one of them, and I don't know if it makes you calm or not. And I do want us to talk very specifically about your talents with jewelry and a fun new box that you have that is coming available for purchase that I think is amazing. But how do you how are you adapting? How are you creating calm for you personally? What is what is something that you would share with our members and friends about about how to connect and adapt and laugh and mellow in these uncertain days. Right. Maybe for those do, of us who aren't so inclined toward artistic ability. <laughs> so,
1: so I, but I do believe that, okay, this is my, my quick sermon on, on our hands and our hands are what make us human, right? Our hands are why we adapted into the wonderful creatures that we are, right? That we are, that we that we're able to use tools with our hands. And I find that whenever I'm um, experiencing anxiety, what I find easiest way to get back to like the part of my brain that knows how to survive is to use my hands. And for people that aren't able to, you know, that that aren't inclined to knit something or make jewelry or build furniture or whatever, you know if you if you can use your hands to sort your books or fold the laundry do the things that only your hands can do get out of your head and do physical work with your hands that's that is very therapeutic I think for most people I would say yard work is another one um, if you're allowed to go outside we can go outside to our yard so it's snowing of course
0: I oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> That's the one saving grace that we have right now in the deep south is that it is stunningly beautiful and very temperate. <laughs> I'm so sorry for my friends in the snow.
1: It's all good. But, yeah, being outside, getting fresh air, we can still take a walk around the block. You have to do that every day. You have to at least get outside. Um, even if you're not going to talk to your neighbor or give anyone a hug, if you can walk around the block or take the dog out and throw a ball that'll make a big difference, because that's how we keep any sort of normalcy in our lives. Um, And the other thing is helping people. If you're lucky enough that you are going to keep receiving a salary, or, you know, your investments are doing okay, I don't know how that would be possible.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) The the first part, possibly for many of us, the second part, probably not.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, I know that I, I actually have a good friend from high school who runs a food bank in Oregon, and um, she has kept so busy because, and she hasn't even had time to think about what's happening because she serves this very, very poor community and, you know, just people have, you know, people, people just have to be asked. It's like I said, you know, some people aren't going to think to themselves, oh, there are people who aren't going to be able to um, receive the food they would get at the homeless shelter or the kids who aren't going to school aren't going to get their free lunch. Um, there's probably a food bank in your area that is still continuing to collect food and would take anything out of your pantry that you can spare. Um, so helping other people, helping other small businesses is another one. And a lot of small businesses are online. My business hasn't been interrupted at all, but I know there are people out there that are nervous about spending because the future is uncertain. Sure. Um, but if you're not one of those people, I would not pressure anybody, but um, you know, you can certainly always support my small business. Well,
0: so let's talk about that because, Jesse, I think that you have – a, a just a true talent. And for anyone who um, knows me, I do I do love my fair share of jewelry. <laughs> and in fact, the only surprises I ever like in my life are based in jewelry. And you make beautiful, beautiful things. For people who have not seen my convention bracelet, you even made me a pearl bracelet to display my convention charms, which of course have very significant meaning to me for a variety of reasons. That could be a whole different show one day. Um, You have a stunning ability, and you do have, uh, because you not only, I'm saying knit pearls together. I know that's not right. What do you do with pearls?
1: Hand knotting.
0: Hand knotting is the word. Yes, I knew that you do that, and you do stunning work, but you do a lot of silver work, and you have gemstones, and I mean, Talk a little bit about that and how people find you, and then let's talk about how you're putting all the good you do into the world.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, so my jewelry shop um, is on Etsy. It's called West Byron, B-Y-R-O-N. Um, and I, I've been making personalized jewelry since 2008, around the time of my first cancer. Um, and uh, I also, I also sell my hand knits in that same shop. Um, I have a second shop where I sell um, some hand dyed yarn, that's my other thing, um, and handbags and um, wallets and things like that. That's West Byron Fiber Works. Um, so I keep very busy with all that, and then I just launched a subscription
0: box. Which is my uh, very favorite thing that you have done to date, outside of making my personal jewelry. <laughs> I, I love anything that comes... In a box, I love them all. They are, um, you know, whether whether you talk about, like, the makeup in a box or the, the people that do clothing in a box and all of these things, jewelry in a box seems to me the most amazing. Th- I can't believe no one else has done it, and I love that it's you. And you call it juju? Juju box. Juju box, right? Okay, I'm not making that up. So, J-U-J-U box. Juju right. box. Yes. Um, So, talk a little bit about what's going to be in that, what people can find, and then we'll tell them how to go buy it, because for those who are interested in entertaining themselves in a very pretty way, can do so when they hear this. So, what all's in a box you get every month?
1: So, you know, I like to do things that are very personalized. Nothing makes me happier than choosing things and making things that are specific to a person. and so many of our sisters have supported me in this and it just fills my heart with joy um so i'm going to um my my shtick. my um what's going to set this box apart is um a personalized piece right so each piece will be each box will include one personalized piece something specific to somebody's preferences their favorite colors their birthstone their monogram maybe whatever and thankfully most of our subscribers are many people i know which is kind of sad time, but also makes me really happy um and and also a, a a complimentary piece so two jewelry pieces and then a couple of other like fun little lifestyle items and um and you can buy one box at a time you can send somebody uh, a juju box as a care package you can specify exactly what you'd like to receive um
0: you can. Yeah, so so you're serious about this this whole like personalization mm-hmm. because when I went in to order my subscription to it um, it's it set up such that you go in and you can put your monogram or your favorite type of stone or whatever the case may be. Because if you, you do know me, you probably knew all of that information about me. I don't think there would be anything that surprises you about pearls or whatever, but, but I find that fascinating because it really will be customized to the purchaser.
1: Right. Exactly. That's, that's what I get excited about because the idea of, you know, most subscription boxes, um, the person, and, it, and I think it's a really cool business model. I've always thought that, and I do subscribe to a couple myself. Um, but most of those folks will source things from other vendors at a discount and it's, and it's nice because they're promoting other businesses at the same time. It's really cool. Right. Um, like like and so forth. like those, you know, that's a way for a lot of people to, um, but because I don't manufacture on a large scale, I've been asked to contribute to these boxes in the past, but I don't, it takes me a long time to make my pieces. So I would rather have a small run of, you know, I limited my first box to 30 numbers and the next one will probably be, you know, closer to 60. But that's what I can realistically produce um, while still making it a personalized, handmade by me run.
0: So let me ask this. So the I I did get my confirmation email, so I think I'm in the first 30. Because when I tell you, like, not 24 hours passed before I put in that credit card information. (laughs) But if you... If you fill up, do you have a waiting list?
1: Not yet. Well, I probably yes. Okay. And then, and so that's just for April. April okay. um, have a few boxes still for April. Okay. and I would love to fill out for yes. April I would love that, and I because I have so many cute little surprise items that I'm looking to put in that, and I really really want people to get those. Um, but uh, there will also be one. Um, May one will have. There will probably be more available got to order some more
0: supplies. This makes me so happy. Now tell me, because I know people can go to West Byron or West Byron Fiberworks. Where do they go to sign up for this?
1: Right. So this is on uh, Crate Joy. It's uh, www.cratejoy.com and you can search for Juju Box on CrateJoy or you can just slash Juju dash box.
0: And so I will try to get super creative and see how to plug this, these things into show notes as well, um, yes. to, to at least give people a heads up, because I think this is a great way to spread some really good juju into the world. And Jesse Castile, you are one of the most amazing, wonderful, beautiful people I know. I cannot imagine, um, you not doing exactly that, especially in times like these, So everybody out there listening, go get you a juju box. It's amazing. And when I get my first one, I will definitely take pictures of all the things and put online as well as I hope do all of our sisters and friends. And Jessie, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you have offered great, great words of wisdom and inspiration and thought for all of our people. And I appreciate all that you are doing for our sorority and the greater world.
1: Thank you, Crystal. We're all so thankful for you. I don't know what we would all be doing without you right now. You're our sunbeam.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate you for saying that, too. And for everyone else, that's all for today. Thank you for listening.